to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Ray McKinley, and welcome to Ride the Elephant podcast. Uh, I'm excited because we are going to continue our conversation with my son, Brian McKinley, and we're going to talk about uh, presumption and projection. Brian, say hello to everyone, and we'll get started. Hello, everyone. All right, perfect. Thanks. Well, you're coming through loud and clear, so uh, let's let's begin. You know, one of the things that I have noticed, Brian, is we have a tendency. I know I have this tendency. When I think I know best, I feel like I should tell the other person. So if I think what I know is best for you, I think I should tell you. And when I think of what I know what's best for one of my other kids, I think I should tell them. And I do that in my relationships, too. I, I tend to do that in my relationships as well. But one of the things that we do when we think we know best, therefore I should tell you, is really presumption. And presumption is when you observe someone else's behavior and then you have a negative feeling or thought about it. And then we begin to make a presumption about it. And we might even say something like, how stupid, how inconsiderate, loser, really, you know, or just have some verbal or nonverbal reaction to what somebody might do. And really, oftentimes we don't really know the whole story behind what we're maybe commenting about or having this presumption about. If we really knew everything else we need, would need to know, maybe we wouldn't jump to a conclusion. So why is it that we don't become curious instead? And instead of being presumptuous, why don't we be, why don't we be curious and maybe ask a question and get a little better understanding? And I think we do this in our relationships across the board. And then not only that, but then when we have an opinion, then I, I basically we're willing to project it onto other people. We basically we spew our negative opinions all over someone else, whether the person wants to hear it or not. And we have a tendency to go from presumption to projection in a heartbeat. And uh, instead of really pausing and saying, hmm, I wonder what's going on here, and maybe I can learn more about the situation before I just go and presume something and then start projecting, gossiping, or talking negatively about something or someone. you have any thoughts about that, Brian? Why do you think we just jump to presumption and projection? Well, as we go through the different qualities that are in the book, Ride the Elephant, we talk about judgment and we talk about in the future we're going to talk about pride right yes and it seems to me that people aren't curious because they think they know and that comes from a place of pride i think was from a lot of people and to be curious you have to be humble genuinely humble i think it's good to be find fulfillment and joy and bliss in in life and in your relationships with other people and in knowing and having knowledge. It's good to have knowledge and it's good to feel good about having knowledge. But I think a curious person accepted that they, even with the knowledge that they do have, they haven't got it all figured out. So they tend to ask questions as opposed to coming from a place of, hey, I've already figured this out. Let me tell you how it is. Yeah, interesting. You know, uh, I think... 
this is a very timely discussion point because what's been really in my mind here in the last few days has been the presumption and projection that I've observed in this trial in Wisconsin with Kyle, young man, 18 years old. You know, and I don't and I don't mean to want to go into a political discussion. However, there was a lot of presumption going on about him, and and a lot of people were projecting at him and around him and talking about him. And this was really going on in the media at a very high level where there were so many people who were, instead of waiting for the the questions that were asked, that needed to be asked, and answers needed to be given, therefore in a trial, asking the questions in a trial and getting the answers in a trial, could anybody really fairly weigh in on what really happened? But it didn't stop people from presuming and projecting all over him and all over everyone else. And anybody that might have said or paused and said, well, let's see what happened. We don't, you know, was this self-defense or was it not self-defense? Let's let, let's ask the questions and find out. Instead of asking that question and being patient and pausing, we made a national spectacle of this event, or the media made a national spectacle of this event. And it, it concerns me that we are so quick to presume instead of asking questions. You know, I had one. I, I, you want to you want a thought on that? Yeah, I was paying attention to that same trial, and I I felt the same. I had the same concern. And we have this idiom in American law. We'll hear, hear people say there's a presumption of innocence, and that the jury is supposed to make a presumption of innocence unless the uh, prosecuting team can prove otherwise. And uh, it was interesting. There wasn't even, you know, they were just moving to indict this young man, and already there was a presumption of guilt in the mainstream conversation. So it's interesting how easy it is for people to get entangled in presumption, and nobody speaks up and says, hey, I think you're making a a presumption that you don't have all the, the information. So I'm curious, how does a person make an alternative presumption where instead of presuming guilt, they instead presume humility and and they presume that they need to get more information before they make a final answer? Yeah, you know, I was talking... What separates the people, the curious, from the the person who presumptuous? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to a friend and about it, and they were saying that, oh, you know, that, that guy, you know, he, you know, he, he needed to be, he needed to be, he was guilty. He should have been charged for something. He should have been, and you know, you, know, you just don't walk into those events and with a gun, and you know, it's just, it's just a stupid thing to do. And that was his comment. It's a stupid thing to do. Well, that's a pretty presumptuous thing to say. And uh, looking at it from face value. I can think, well, maybe it was a stupid thing to do, but he also went there to protect property, or so he says, and he also felt he needed to be safe. Uh, And I, you know, I said to my friend, I said, you know, well, was that one of the charges of the six charges that was brought against him? And he said, well, what do you mean? What was that one of the six charges? Was stupidity one of the charges? And he, he said, "Well, no. Well, I said, if he would have been charged for stupidity, I think I might have, <laughs> I might have convicted him." 
uh, an obscene that facetiously, we don't have that. That wasn't a charge, and that wasn't what uh, they were going after. And yes, he could have made a better choice. And I think, you know, based on conversations that he's had, he regrets the choice he made that, and he would like to have done it different. And how many times in life do we find ourselves in that situation? Granted, this had a fatal consequence, and and I'm certain that that creates a stronger emotion than we normally would see in this. However, it doesn't take away from why so many people, why we have this collective thing in our culture that we presume and attack, presume and attack, instead of, like you say, showing a little humility, showing a little deference for the law, showing a little deference for 12 people who were randomly chose that they're going to make a decision that's the right decision. You know, I, 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 we have to have faith and trust that 12 of our fellow citizens are going to make the right decision. And if we don't, we're in trouble, <laughs> you know, because what's the alternative if we don't have 12 people making the decision when instead we have thousands and thousands or the media pundits making the decision? And then we're going to sentence the person based on that. So it's very interesting. And, you know, this plays out in the big scale, but it also plays out in our our relationships, just one-on-one with one person to the the other. We can be very presumptuous when we see someone behave a certain way and really be very critical of them and be judgmental of them and and talk about them in a negative way. And it's like, really? Why do we do that? Why don't we start asking some questions and be more curious? And you were out of the word being humble. What what does that mean, being humble? You know, that's a that's a nice word, but how would you apply it to this concept? To me, humility is. It's a lot of people think of humility as just being not a braggart, brag about their accomplishments, and that is certainly a component of humility. But to me, humility means something more. It's also about finding your own limitation that you can't know everything yeah what is, yeah, what for is sure. someone who's humble what do they believe humble believes human beings and i've only been exposed to the information that i've been exposed to and that's about it they believe what does a humble person believe that other people teach me uh i will learn from other people because they've been exposed to different information than i have mm-hmm. and yeah. I think that that those little steps, for whatever reason, are are harder. A habit of just being critical, being judgmental, and and all the rest. You know, I wonder sometimes when I see people make decisions, and I you know we all observe and we all observe behavior in other people and in ourselves that maybe is less than ideal. I get that, but it's what we do with the observation after we make it. Do we? go to presumption, do we make presume the worst and we go to projection and, and speak negatively? Or after we made the observation, do we start thinking for a minute and say, hey, you know what? And one of the things that I've done is I, is I say, I wonder what happened in their personal history that would cause them to do what they just did or say what they just said. You know, because we never know someone's personal story sometimes. And sometimes the, the personal history would reveal a belief that they hold deep down inside that causes them to respond the way they do. You know, and the other thing that I, I do sometimes is I'll say, you know, 
I look at someone in a situation, you know, you're just, you're okay just the way you are. I don't need to change you. You know, I, it isn't my role in life to change you. And I want to set, I'm going to set aside my need to be right for the sake of the relationship. What would you rather be, Brian? What would you rather be? right or in relationship, you know, and I think that's a great question that we need to ask ourselves sometimes because sometimes our need to be right costs us a relationship. And I don't yeah. need to have the, la- and I don't need to have the last word sometimes. Yeah. As if my, as if my last word is the most important word. Again, both of those things tie into humility that you're talking about. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And you know, you put assumption and projection together, which makes so much sense because one seems to kind of follow the other. You make a, a presumption that you know best or whatever it is, and then you throw that at people. And I don't know why that nature to want to win. I think it's in our nature to compete. Um, but I think that this is deeper than that. And it's not a habit that you have to settle for. It's not a habit that you have to get stuck in because a question that we're fruitful, have relationships, and sometimes the key to peace is just a couple of questions away. So instead of continuing to bang your head against the wall and out your commentary, you can really get to know someone by asking them a couple of questions about where they're coming from and how they want the relationship to be because there's a good chance that they want the relationship to be peaceful also. Yes. You know, uh, I think as we look at our relationships, what would strengthen our relationships, certainly to stop presumption and stop projecting and be more curious and ask questions. And I think we'd do a lot better with that. You know, another example of presumption, Brian, I think that, that has a cost culturally and it's really costing our youth. And you and I have had this conversation before, and we both are familiar with this piece of work that I think really presents presumption and projection that we do as parents and teachers and as a society to our youth. Brent and Alex Harris, twin brothers, when they were 18 years old, wrote a book titled Do Hard Things. It was their attempt to call out uh, to young adults to not buy into the presumptuous nature of the adult world that the adult world had of them. They basically had a premise that there was a myth of adolescence and that this myth was being perpetuated by the adults of the world. And they basically had this belief that kids can't, you know, they had kids can't do anything. They're enabled, they're entitled, they don't work hard, they just play on games and they can't get going in their life. And they, you know, all these opinions that we have of, of the younger generation, and that leads to what they call low expectations. So their theme of the book is to do hard things. And, and this is a call out to the youth of America to not be labeled, not be confined by the opinions of their adult world and that they are very capable of doing things. You kind of, you actually contacted them at one point when when we were studying that concept and we got a few copies of the book for our class and we really dissected that. What was your takeaway from that experience, Brian, and how does that apply to what we're talking about here today? Well, they really felt that to challenge themselves uh, and to do hard things was kind of a a reason for living, if you will. 
a bliss in and of itself and that to work hard and rise to the occasion and create a community or create a piece of media that just to be creative and that doing those hard things will have a positive end result and will have a positive impact in the lives of other people. And so it certainly impacted our lives. And then it was taught to the students every subsequent year after they sent us that material, which was great. And the students and myself, I think, came to understand that, well, like I said, you have to be stoic, rise to the occasion of doing hard things. And antithetical to that has become the generations prior telling the young that they are unable, inadequate, not smart enough, not capable, and they project then a low expectation. And so the idea is to rebel against low expectations. It sounds kind of silly, but to break the mold of what our authorities projected us, which is that we're going to mess up, we're going to not be capable. And it's as simple as just projecting the opposite, you know, to project onto your kid that they are capable. And it's not always just in the way that you talk, though that's certainly a cornerstone. It's also in the way that you act. And letting a child fail, you know, you talked with your previous guest about the importance of in, in academia, letting your child fail and letting the, letting your child deal with their teacher on their own. You know, you show them how to do something and then you let them do it. But if you constantly step in to do it for them, going to learn how to do little things, let alone hard things, life is full of hard things. You know, that another piece of humility, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, I guess, but a piece of humility is confidence. You said the word confidence earlier. I have confidence or I go with faith that jury that's going to make a decision about Kyle Rittenhouse is going to come to the right choice. That's a room full of adults. I have just have to have faith that whatever decision they make is going to have good outcome. And it's hard to look at other people, especially young people, especially your own children, or maybe your staff, your new staff at your workplace. It's hard to look at them and have faith going to mess it up. Yes. A piece of humility is having faith that, A, if you, if you believe God or a higher power, that that thing has each individual person's, there's a plan and they've got, everything is happening for a reason and they've got that person's best interest in mind. And that that person is capable of handling some things, including recovering from failing if they mess it up. And it's scary as a parent or an employer, it seems very unwise to have a sandbox without some insurance policies in place. And yet, the learning, so many things, is kind of a trial and error process. And I think letting go and letting other people make choices is a key piece of parenting. You know, there's a obsession in our culture with catching the bad guy instead of fostering good guy. Yeah, we're more possessed to do that than we are to create an esteem-building experience for another person. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I was blessed with when growing up was I had a father who put me in a lot of situations at a young at a young age, at 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old. He put me in situations where I could easily fail and because uh, I didn't know how to do something. And that didn't stop him from giving me the assignment to do it. And he was prepared to take the consequences of my mischief and what the mistakes I made. 
you know, and I give you example after example of my dad doing that, you know, I just went over and over and over again throughout my life. And it really taught me to learn to do things and experience failure and figure it out and find a better way. You know, I, I think the word picture that works well for me, and I use it in a book, and I think it's a timely one here. It's the monarch, the story of the monarch butterfly and the little boy that caught the, the caterpillar and he, and he wanted to save the caterpillar and he wanted to put it in a jar and wanted to nurture it and give it nutrition so it could grow up into a beautiful monarch butterfly. And when he metamorphosed into a uh, the chrysalis and he was trying, the butterfly was trying to get out of the chrysalis and he had a difficult time doing it. So the little boy decided he was going to take a knife and cause a little slit in the chrysalis to make it easier for the butterfly to get out of this cocoon that he was trapped in. And the butterfly finally did come out with the help of the boy. And then the boy was so disappointed because the butterfly never turned into the beautiful butterfly he was hoping for. And in fact, he had kind of small wings and gray in color and never really was able, never was able to fly and never was able to fulfill his his life as a beautiful monarch butterfly that could fly away. And this is what we do with our kids sometimes. We, we, cut, the, we cut the slit. We make it easier for them. We have the lawnmower parents and helicopter parents. Uh, helicopter parents are hovering over our children all the time. And then lawnmower parents that are cutting the way to make it easier. And uh, so we have a tendency to be like the little boy who is trying to nurture and help help the monarch but butterfly get out of the chrysalis. And we have to recognize that it is our help is not always helpful. You know, sometimes we have to step back and let the child figure it out for themselves, or the neophyte in the workplace to figure it out for themselves. Teaching you know, a man yeah. to fish requires that he fail a few times at, at fishing. Yeah. Well, I fail at fishing a lot. It still doesn't make me a better fisherman. <laughs> uh, but, you've uh, gone hunting it, a couple of times this season, and, and you've failed so far, as far as I can tell. Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, I have. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But I have a lot of fun doing it. That's the thing that's important. Yeah, so uh, I, I think... When we start putting this out here as a issue that we maybe as a, I see it's a character flaw personally, when we are presumptuous and we project our presumptions onto other people unwittingly. And I think there's some things we can do to, to maybe mitigate that and take steps to change it. A belief that I have that I keep reminding myself is we all make mistakes. That is how we learn. So it doesn't bother me if people make mistakes because that's how they learn. And that was the motto of my dad. It didn't bother my dad that it w I made mistakes. That's because he knew that's how I would learn. And the other one that is uh, for me is, and I remind me of this, I remind myself of this, everyone is doing the best they can with the prevailing awareness they have in the moment. And I think for the most part, everyone is doing the best they can with the prevailing awareness they have at the moment. And it's really their failure to do the best is really because they don't have the awareness that they may gain from the failure they're currently going to experience. And then they'll do better next time. And, and, that's, a, and that's a critical belief for me that I use in, uh, in my relationships with uh, other people. And um, the other one for me is... Uh, that kind of mitigates this tendency for me is uh, what I think of others is none of their business. 
you know, I really, I really don't think it is my business. And so I keep it to myself. And uh, I refuse to label people. I think we've gotten into a societal order today that we're quick to label others in a demeaning way. And we use labels as an, in an attempt to demean them. We use labels to make someone um, appear to be less then. And uh, I think that's devastating to a relationship and to our culture. And what are your thoughts about that, Brian, about labeling that you're seeing occur in our society today that seems to just be on a rampant scale? I, I, I think that words get thrown around that people are not really registering the, the meaning or the historical context of these words that they that they throw around there's it seems to me that there's helpful labels though so there's unhelpful labels or untrue labels and then there's helpful labels like in a in a workshop where you're doing some kind of psychometric thing where you're you're learning about a, a a personality, you know, there's a personality schematic and you're learning about, you know, yourself. And so you give yourself a couple of words that you can label yourself and say, you know, I have this habit. I have, and it's true and it's true for you. And you take ownership and that, that label causes a positive change in you. That also goes for section there. It seems to me that what we're talking about is how there's this pattern of making untrue presumptions. And instead of making presumptions of, hey, or, you know, this person is, you know, I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt until I learn more information. Or I presume that, you know, other people in positions of authority are going to work this out and it's none of my business. Those kinds of things. There's also helpful and unhelpful projection. So it seems to me that there's, you know, a uh, just an alternative mindset that a person can get into where instead of negative, untrue presumptions and negative projections and using incorrect or unhelpful labels, that they can make humble presumptions and truthful, uh, helpful projections. What? And, and I think you're getting into the, what does a person say to themselves in their head change that habit? Furthermore, what is the person's frame of mind who is curious? Because I feel like just saying nice and making positive remarks is, is level one. Level two and three is actual humility, actual curiosity. So what is a person, how does a person change their habit? to get to real curiosity, real genuine curiosity about other people? Well, I think of a few things. One, the first thing I think of when you ask that question is, I allow others to have personal responsibility for their mischief. I will, um, I'll let them figure it out. I'll, you know, and I might help them figure it out. I might ask them some questions to help them figure it out. But basically, I let others take personal responsibility for their, for, for their mischief. I don't give them any excuses. I don't, you know, let them off the hook. I just basically give them a chance to figure it out. And I think that's an important part instead of me weighing in on it. I will, I will wait to be invited in uh, uh, to help others uncover a blind spot. And only when asked. I will not do it unless asked. 
you know, I think one of the things we do is we, this is a presumption. This is a pr- big presumption, a presumption on top of a presumption, and that's constructive criticism. People say, well, this is constructive criticism. Well, that's a double presumption, you know, in my opinion, because constructive criticism is destructive. Unless invited in, unless I'm invited to give my feedback, unwelcome criticism damages their, the other person's esteem and the relationship you have with that person. So to me, unless you're invited, there's no such thing as constructive criticism. Now, if someone invites you in, then you can be constructive in your criticism because you've been asked for it. And that's different because now you're helping them because they've reaching out to wise counselor or reaching out for someone else to get an opinion from. The other thing I do is I will be Socratic in my asking questions. You know, I will be um, bring clarity by helping others to become clearer about what they believe and value instead of hoisting my beliefs on them. I think one of the things we do with presumption is we hoist our beliefs on other people instead of pulling out what they truly believe. I think if we're more Socratic and ask questions, we really are pulling out what they believe instead of us vomiting our beliefs onto them and telling them how they should take on our beliefs. So, well, if you believe this and you believe that, you know, everything would work out. You know, that, no, that's, that's not being helpful. What's being helpful is really processing the person or asking the person some questions that allows them to process and go deep inside and figure out what their beliefs and values are that are causing them to respond the way they are. I'll resist pointing out their flaws and I'll pay more attention to minding my own instead of pointing out the flaws of others. And uh, well, the other thing I do is I, in every opportunity, I will affirm and encourage other people because I think if you just affirm and encourage them, they'll figure it out on their own. And remembering that curiosity and asking questions are the antithesis of presumption and projection. Your thoughts? Yeah, so you're saying that if you were to take everything that you just said and on a regular basis recite those mantras or idioms in your mind when you're about to make a presumption or a projection, start reciting those things that you just listed off and that that will slowly change your attitude and your mindset about where they're at and where you're at and how to interact. Yeah, it's certainly not easy sometimes if you've been in the habit of doing it the other way. But if you take these precepts that I just kind of voiced to you just a minute ago, you take these precepts and start applying them to your life, it will change the way you respond to those people in the future. You'll pause. You'll think twice about your presumption and really think twice about your projection because oftentimes right. it's hard hard to stop our presumption but we go with the next step which is the most damaging step is to project it onto somebody else you know we can i saw oftentimes i have a presumption about somebody else but then i say you know maybe i should start asking some questions here instead of just going to projection so i make an observation i make a presumption and i pause and say okay I'm going to start Socratically asking questions so I can figure out what's going on here instead of jumping to my conclusion and then projecting it all over that person or to other people that I talk to or gossip about them. So by really seeing three components, three areas of this playing out, the observation that we make, we, we can't stop observing, so we always are going to observe. It's hard to stop presumption 
We said, yeah, let's see. We'll go, let's give us that. We'll 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 jump into presumption sometime. But the third thing, that's where we really have to stop, and that's projection. And instead of projection, be Socratic, ask questions, find out more, and see if what we're our presumptions are even true or even accurate. And I think that played out certainly in what we've seen here in this recent cultural issue around this recent verdict that we have from Wisconsin, and it plays out in every aspect of our life. So as we come to close, Brian, about this this topic, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, it sounds like projection is on your mouth and presumption is in your mind a lot of the time. And if you're in transition, then you're still going to find yourself presuming in your mind. But if you can just force yourself to ask a question, you know, I had a teacher in school say, I want you to come in to my classroom in a good mood every day. If you're not in a good mood, fake it. And so that's kind of how I think about sometimes when I'm in a conversation, I'm, I like to ask questions. I put myself in the habit of asking questions. And if I can't think of a question to ask, think of one anyway, and just get, try to get to know this person, make it your goal to get to know this person, because that curiosity I think truly is transformative. So I've experienced it on a number of occasions and it's really, really, really difficult because it's a throwing stones, living in glass houses kind of world that we live in where everybody's projecting, not like being projected on. Yeah. And nobody stops to think about that. Yeah. Well, you bring up a great question when you say, think of, think of a question. Well, I have a question that I keep in the back of my mind all the time. So when I can't think of a question, and you alluded to that just a minute ago, this is what I ask. When I can't think of a question, I say, tell me more about that. Because that gets me off the hook from thinking of a question, a processing question. I say, tell me more about that. And that allows the person to pontificate more. And they'll give you more information that you realize, oh, now that I know that, maybe I feel differently about it. Or the other thing I might say is, how how'd you come to feel that way? You know, I'll ask those that kind of thing. So I never stumble for a question because I always have these two questions that are always there for me when I run into this roadblock of making a presumption and not knowing where to go with it. So I have those two questions that I rely on. Again, I just habitually have come to learn to ask those questions. Yeah, those are helpful. And I noticed that actual question, curious frame, because asking projecting questions is still projecting, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, because it's really not an but, open-ended question. It's it's a question okay. with it's a question that's sort of in the form of a, a statement in the form of a question. And a statement right. in the form of the question is, you know, how could you how could you vote for that person or how could you do that? Well, that's a statement in the form of a question. You know, and that's not a true Socratic question. So, right. if you're projecting if you're projecting an attitude or an opinion when you ask the question, it's not a Socratic question. So, right. That's another great clue to keep us from getting caught in that trap. This is really important right now and I'm glad that that you built this particular piece 
into the framework that you talk about in the book because it's really, really important. It is. And uh, I, I think it's important for our society. It's important for our children. And it's important for our relationships. And I really appreciated having our conversation today, Brian. It's always a pleasure. You are inspiring and thoughtful. Causes me to uh, be thoughtful as well. And I hope that we're sharing some information with people that uh, that they can use. So thank you, Brian, again. And I want to thank everyone else for joining us for Ride the Elephant Today podcast. And join us next time. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week. Thank you.